I'm going to speak to you today on a very important topic. It's a topic that many people are talking about today. My sermon is entitled, The Problem of Evil. If we learned anything in our study of Genesis 1 and 2, it's got to be this. God created everything, and everything God created is good. Amen? Everything he created is good. You go through chapter 1, over and over it says, and God said that it was good. You come to the end of chapter 1, and the Bible says, and, and God said it was very good. Then you come to chapter 2, and we, we see a close-up uh, panoramic view of the creation of Adam and Eve and bringing them together in the first marriage, which would be the cornerstone of the family and cornerstone of the society that we live in. But wait a minute. Watch the news. Read the tweets. The perfect world that God created is not so perfect anymore. In fact, we live in a broken world that is immersed in evil and suffering. And this evil can basically be broken down into two categories. There is natural evil. And this is hurricanes and death and famine and earthquakes and disease. Then there is moral evil. This includes violence, sex trafficking, abortion, immorality, genocide, out-of-control crime, and sheer blatant hatred for each other. This week, I read about a neonatal nurse in England who has been charged with killing seven babies and attempting to kill ten others under her care there in the hospital. You know what she did? She injected air into their little stomachs. And those that weren't killed that way, she injected them with an overdose of insulin. In one note, this nurse scrawled these words, I quote. She said, I am a horrible person. I killed them on purpose because I'm not good enough. And then she ended with this, these cryptic words. She said, I am evil. I did this. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that something is terribly wrong with the world in which we live today. And that raises a question in many people's minds and hearts. How could a good God allow such evil pain and suffering? Does he not even care? You'd be surprised the number of people who are asking that question today. By the way, it's considered to be the number one reason that many people reject God outright and become atheist. Is there an answer? I believe there is. In fact, I want you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Genesis chapter 3. This is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. I'll tell you why, because it sheds some light 
on the problem of evil that blankets the world today. Before we dive into this chapter, let's make sure that we get some things really settled in our minds and our hearts. In Genesis 2.16, the Bible says this, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Wow. Now this is before evil became a part of our world. This is when everything was perfect and pristine. This is when Adam and Eve were living in the Garden of Eden in a perfect world where everything was designed by God to operate in perfect harmony. God commanded them, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Now evidently, God gave Adam this commandment before Eve was created from Adam's rib. And it was Adam's responsibility to make sure that his wife understood this limitation that God placed upon this first couple. Now think about it. Adam and Eve were free. They were free to live without pain and suffering. They were free to live, out, live without the fear of death. They were free to have special intimate fellowship with the living God. They were free to exercise dominion over all that God had created. They were free to enjoy a perfect intimate relationship with each other in a marriage that God himself blessed. They were free to eat the, tree, the fruit of every tree in the Garden of Eden and the world around them. What a life God provided for this first couple. But wait now. God placed one prohibition upon Adam and Eve. In verse 17 of chapter 2, again, in that perfect and pristine world, God said this to Adam, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, I'm not so sure that Adam helped Eve to understand the full implications of verse 17 of chapter 2. Now, God was certainly clear in his expectations. I, I tell you, getting a firm grasp on Genesis 2, 16 and 17 is a prerequisite for fully understanding what God was going to reveal to us in Genesis chapter 3. Some of you this morning, you may be a teenager, you may be a college-age student, you may be a young adult, you may be, even be a senior adult. And there's a heated battle going on in your heart. And you're asking that question that I referenced earlier that so many people in our world are asking. If God is good, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? And if God is good, why doesn't he do something about it? Hey, I want to pray for you right now. Would you bow your heads? Every head bow, every eye close. Heavenly Father, I pray for those in this room. I pray for those watching live stream. Father, I know that there are people listening right now 
who have this internal battle going on about the goodness of God and why there's evil and suffering in the world today. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would create a runway in their minds and hearts to receive the truth of your word. And I pray, Father, that they would lay aside any presuppositions that they have embraced, presuppositions that have been informed by the world system. And I pray, O oh God in heaven, that you would speak truth into their lives. Help them to think biblically on this subject. Father, in the name of Jesus, use me for your glory. Amen. Now, the first thing I want you to see in chapter 3 is the serpent. The serpent. Look at verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now, this chapter tells us there was a serpent in paradise. Now, evidently, prior to the fall of the human race, this serpent was a, a beautiful animal, a beautiful reptile. But, but the, the scripture is vague about the identity of this serpent. We do know that this serpent was shrewd and cunning because that's what the Bible says here in verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. Now, let's see if we can take other scriptures, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and see if we can find some light to help us understand some truths about this serpent in paradise. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 through 15, God says, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You have the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now, let me say to you, this passage in Ezekiel chapter 28, 12 through 15, it's not talking about an earthly leader. It's not talking about an earthly king. There's some, someone else that's being referenced here by God himself. Let me keep reading. Verse 13, look at this. It's amazing. God says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, whoever God's talking to here, they were in the garden of Eden. That's what the Bible says right here. The Bible goes on to say, uh, on the day that you were created, they were prepared. Verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers. Well, what's a cherub? A cherub is an angel. So we know that this, this serpent in, in, in paradise, number one, is an angel. And we know that this serpent in paradise was there in the Garden of Eden. We know that. The Bible says it right here in Ezekiel. And, and the Bible says in verse 14, again, you were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. God placed Satan in the Garden of Eden. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. Verse 15, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. Now understand this, whoever this is, this is a created angel. 
You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. Now we're getting to see some more information about this serpent in paradise. We know this serpent in paradise was created in righteousness. We know that this serpent in paradise evidently sinned against God. We know that this serpent in paradise was an anointed cherub. And we know based upon Isaiah 14 that this anointed cherub, this this fallen angel wanted to be God. Isaiah 14, the Bible says that this anointed cherub, this, this fallen angel, several times says in that chapter, I will, I will, I will, I will. He wanted to be God. That's why he fell. That's why there was unrighteousness in him. Now we give, even get some clear information in Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. The Bible says that there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them. And well, who is this dragon? Well, look at verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, and he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Okay, now we know the identity of the serpent in paradise. We know the serpent in paradise was Satan, the fallen angel Satan. He tried to lead a coup in heaven with a group of angels against God because he wanted to be God himself. And he was thrown out of heaven for rebelling against God. This is not a fable. It's not a legend. This is a true story. Let me tell you, Satan is real. Adam and Eve are real. This really happened. Satan, get this now, Satan is the originator of evil, not God. Did you hear me? Satan is the originator of evil, not God. I want you to understand this. Evil is not something God created. He didn't create Satan to rebel against him. He created Satan to serve him. But evidently he gave the the angels the same freedom that he gave to Adam and Eve. And he chose to rebel against God. Evil is not something God created. It is not a force like the force of Star Wars. It's not. Evil is the absence of righteousness like darkness is the absence of light. It develops when anyone chooses to rebel against God and his word. So how did God's perfect world get into such a mess? Would you agree with me it's in a mess today, isn't it? It all started with the serpent in paradise. There was evil in heaven, and we see number two in our text today, the seduction. 
And the evil in heaven came to earth. It came to paradise. It came to the Garden of Eden. After Satan's rebellion had failed, he set his sights on Adam and Eve. I'm sure he studied them. Maybe he studied how God created Adam from the very dust of the ground. How he breathed into his nostrils the very breath of life. I'm sure he studied how God took a rib from Adam and fashioned the beautiful Eve and brought her to Adam to be his wife and for them to uh, be fruitful and multiply across the world. And he was amazed. You, You see, these two parts of God's creation could know God. They could serve God. They could obey God. They had a special relation. They were created in the image of God. No other part of creation could say that. And Satan watched all that, and he put Adam and Eve in his target. And he's going for them. Now look, Adam and Eve were free to choose to obey God, and they were free to choose to disobey God. Let me ask, why did Satan single out Eve for this tantalizing temptation? Why? Was she more vulnerable because Adam had failed to carefully instruct her about what God had revealed to him before she was created? Did Adam and Eve understand the repercussions that would reverberate throughout the human race? And the created world, if they failed to obey the Lord? This is God's account of Satan's cunning attack against them. I want you to see how that attack manifested itself. In Genesis 3, 1, we see that Satan challenged God's word. Look at verse 1 again. Now, the serpent was more crafty shrewd and cunning and conniving than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Satan speaks through the serpent. Do you see what he's doing here? He puts a question mark where God has already put a period. This is a, by the way, this is the first question mark in the Bible right here. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And guess who, who brings the question to bear in the world today? It is Satan. The first question mark. He took a positive command. You can eat from any tree of the garden, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he rephrased it in a negative way. And you know what he's insinuating here? Why would God keep you from eating the fruit of this tree? Look at verses 2 and 3. The woman said to the serpent, that's where she messed up. Look, can I tell you this? Don't ever get in a conversation with the devil. Now, I know he's not going to speak to you through some animal that he's possessing the body of that animal that's not going to happen in all likelihood but you know what we can still get in a conversation with the devil he tempts us and he says this would be good for you you're missing out on something here 
And we say, you know, you're right, devil. And we get in trouble in a hurry. Never get in a conversation with the devil. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, by the way, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Do you see anything wrong with that? Now look back in, in, in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. God never said that they couldn't touch the fruit. But she added to God's word. Can I tell you something? You get in just as much trouble adding to what God says as you do taking away from what God said. And that's exactly what she did. She said, now, Satan, God said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. She got two out of three right, I guess. But she made a big mistake by getting into this conversation with the devil. Listen, Eve could not outsmart the adversary, but she could overcome the adversary if she chose to obey God and submit to God instead of what Satan was tempting her to do. I love the song that Meg and the choir sang a moment ago. It's just believing God's word. <laughs> I can't tell you how important it is that you and your family believe God's Word. We talk about that all the time in this church. It is one of our core values. The Bible is our final source for faith and practice. And here we see Eve, right here in a perfect, pristine world, being tempted by the enemy who is challenging the Word of God, and she is beginning to doubt the Word of God. But why would God forbid Adam and Eve from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, clearly, he didn't want them to be exposed to evil. I think all of us could agree with that. But beyond that, I believe this prohibition was God's way of reminding Adam and Eve that they were to trust him and they were to obey him and they were to believe him. Now look at the bold defiance of Satan in verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. You're not going to die. Why, if you eat of this fruit, you're not going to die. God is filling you with a lie. That's what Satan is insinuating. So he's trying to get Eve to deny God's word concerning the consequences of disobedience. By the way, he's still doing that today. He established a stronghold in Eve's heart and mind when he suddenly got her to doubt God's word and to deny God's word. Now listen. Listen to me carefully. Teenagers, listen. Everybody in this room, everybody watching live stream, listen. Satan is your adversary too. He's coming after you. 
He's coming after your kids. He's coming after your grandkids. He's coming after your marriage. He's coming after your finances. He's coming after everything you got because he wants to bring you down and bring shame upon the name of the precious Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming after you. I love what Dr. Erwin Lutzer wrote in his book entitled The Serpent in Paradise. He said this, Satan never shows us the consequences of psychedelic drugs or alcohol. Never. He skillfully hides the results of pornography, immorality, and dishonesty. Nor does he show us the final state of those who hold to wrong beliefs about the Bible, Christ, and salvation. His strategy is to give people what they want, but to make sure they eventually what they, that they eventually get what he wants them to have. Wow. What a statement. Let me repeat that last statement. His strategy is to give people what they want, but to make sure they eventually get what he wants them to have. It's so important that you know the Word of God. I, I cannot express that too strongly. Because I tell you, the Bible says that as we get closer to the return of Christ, the evil in our world is going to metastasize. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. The only way I know to counteract the enemy and the evil that he has planted in this world today is to be committed to Christ and committed to the Word of God. Don't let the enemy sow seeds of doubt in your mind and your heart concerning the Word of God. Don't let him twist God's Word for his purposes in your life. Be on your guard 24-7. Now, Satan not only challenged the Word of God, but he also challenged the love of God. Look at verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent in paradise wanted Eve to think that God's love was bogus. That he was keeping a blessing from them that they deserved. By, by the way, that spirit of entitlement that is so prevalent in our world today will get us in trouble in a heartbeat in our spiritual lives. You ever feel like God owes you something? Can I tell you something? Let's just, let's just cut to the chase. God doesn't owe you anything. If you got what you deserve from God, you wouldn't want it, I promise you. God is a God of grace and mercy and love. And he's given us far more than we could ever expect. The serpent in paradise challenged God's love. Believe me, Adam and Eve knew all about good. 
This is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They all knew about good. They served a good God. They have been blessed by a good God over and over and over again. Everything they needed in life, the good God had provided. They knew all about good, but they had no idea what evil was. They were perfect, sinless. So how did Satan pitch this to her? Well, he wanted her to think that eating the forbidden fruit would make her wise like God. See, that's what got Satan in trouble in heaven to begin with, right? He wanted to be God. And so he says to Eve, Eve, I promise you, if you eat this fruit, you'll be wise like God. How would she and Adam respond to this tantalizing temptation. The third thing I want to point out in this chapter, we've looked at the serpent. We've looked at the seduction. Now I want you to see the sin. This has to be, this scene right here in chapter 3 has to be the darkest day in human history. Darker than World War II, World War I, darker than the Armenian genocide, darker than anything that you have ever seen that's evil in this world. Nothing can compare to this day in the Garden of Eden. The evil that originated in heaven when Lucifer or Satan rebelled against God is now introduced into God's perfect world. Here's how it happened. Look at verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Wow. Hey, don't let those words just skip over your mind. This is a colossal failure, sin of the highest kind. Eve was deceived the same way that John described in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, where John wrote, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. She saw that the tree was good for food, the Bible says. That's the lust of the flesh. She saw that it was a delight to the eyes. That's the lust of the eyes. She saw that it was desirable to make one wise. That's the boastful pride of life. This is Satan's strategy for getting people to give in to immorality. Same thing, same strategy. This is Satan's strategy for getting people to take things that don't belong to them. This is his strategy to get people to sell out to materialism. This is his strategy to get people to walk away from the faith. The issue for us is simply this. Will we trust God? Will we obey God? We we got a hymn in our hymn book, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way. And that's so true. 
Eve took the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and she ate it. And then she gave some to Adam who also ate it. Eve was tricked into sinning, but Adam was not deceived by the enemy. He was not. He took the fruit from Eve and he ate it. And do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says in the New Testament that Adam is held responsible for the fallen world that we live in today. Not Eve, Adam. He sinned willfully with open eyes. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. Who is that one man? Look at 1 Corinthians 15.22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Satan, listen, Satan always overpromises and under, under delivers. That's exactly what he did with Eve. That's exactly what he did with Adam. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened. They were opened okay. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin covered. They didn't become like God. They didn't become wise like God. Satan lied to them and he'll lie to you. He always lies. He never tells the truth. Don't fall for it. How did the world get so messed up? He got messed up because Satan rebelled against God in heaven and took the evil that was in his heart and sowed it into the hearts of Adam and Eve. But I've got some good news for you today. You can overcome Satan. You can, you can overcome him. You can't outsmart him, I promise you that. But you can overcome him. I, I wanna share four or five things that you can do to overcome Satan. Number one, devote yourself to Christ. I may make Jesus number one in your heart. Second Corinthians 11.3 says, but I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Devote yourself to Christ. Let me ask you, are you saved? Have you honestly and truthfully repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus? If not, I'm telling you right now, you're a sitting duck. You're a sitting duck. I want to invite you today, give your heart to Jesus. Devote yourself to Jesus from the top of your head to the tips of your toes. Number two, resist Satan when he tempts you. You say, Pastor, can I do that? Absolutely. You have the authority given to you by our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, to resist the devil when he tempts you. You do not have to say yes to a temptation. 
The Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 7, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now let me ask you a question. Why would the Bible tell us to resist the devil if we couldn't do it? God, let me tell you, God never overpromises and under, under delivers. Never. He says that you can resist the devil and that he will flee from you, but first you've got to submit to God. So the second strategy I want to share with you today about overcoming Satan is number one, devote yourself to Christ. Number two, resist Satan when he tempts you. And number three, trust and obey God's word. Trust and obey God's word. I wish I could crawl inside your mind. I wish I could crawl inside your heart and carve out a place in your mind and your heart where you will absolutely treasure the Word of God, where you will have a passion to read and study the Bible, where you will have a passion not only to be a hearer of the Word, but to be a doer of the Word. I'm going to ask our worship team to come, our staff to come. And I want you to respond to what you've heard today. Now, you saw how Adam and Eve responded. They didn't respond in the right way, did they? And look at what's happened as a result. This is your chance to respond in the right way. You say, well, pastor, how does God want me to respond? Well, number one, I can tell you this. He wants you to devote yourself to Christ, to believe in his son, to trust him as your savior and your Lord. I'm going to invite you in just a moment to come to one of our staff members and just tell them today, I'm ready to trust Jesus. Secondly, I'm going to ask you to come to the altar. Some of you are being tempted today. There's a real and present danger in your life. Maybe it's a temptation to give up on your marriage. Maybe it's a temptation for alcohol. Maybe it's a temptation that's centered on materialism. And that temptation is real. And you know what? You're here today because God brought you here because he wanted you to hear this message. I'm going to invite you to come to the altar. And this is going to be resistant territory right here. This is where you say, Lord, I'm, re I'm submitting myself to you and I'm resisting the devil because I want him to flee from me in this area of my life. I know how it is. It seemed like every Sunday, we ask people to respond. And, and it's like people are afraid to come to the altar because of what people might think about them. Who cares? Who gives a royal flip what anybody cares about you? Listen, if you please Jesus, it doesn't matter who you displease. But if you displease Jesus, it doesn't matter who you please. 
So you come to this altar and you bow before your king and you resist the devil by submitting to God. And then I want to encourage you. Come to this altar. God's using his word in your life to give you clear direction. Would you just come to this altar and say, Lord, I heard like Meg in the choir saying, I heard your word about this specific area in my life, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe your word. I'm not going to believe the culture around me. I'm going to believe your word. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray. Now, when I pray, I want to encourage a lot of prayer warriors to come to this altar and pray for those who have a target on their back. I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray that God will move in their minds and hearts and that today victories will be won for the cause of Christ. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, pour out your spirit. Do a work in our lives today, Lord. In Jesus' name. 